Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlo and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. Henry and I are joined again by Austin Treslow. Austin has spent uh, most of his summer playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, and uh, we kind of wanted just to hear his thoughts on how the season went and uh, uh, see uh, what his plans are for, uh, for 2021. So, Austin, welcome to, uh, to Maine Golf Talk, and uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. So, uh, you know, let's, let's get right into your, your experience on, uh, on tour this year. I mean, you had, uh, three top 10 finishes. You, uh, you're currently 42nd in the, uh, race to the top 25. Uh, you know, you're sitting in a really good position. So, uh, how, uh, how was the season and, uh, what, uh, what'd you take from it? I'm pleased with the way the season went. I had conditional status to start the year and my original goal was to finish in the top 75 on the points list. It doesn't sound like that ambitious of a goal, but when you start the year off not knowing what events you're going to get in, you don't know how many starts you're going to have. Uh, it's it's top. It's hard to get in the top 75 anyway. So it was, I think, a pretty good goal. The top 75 getting into the playoffs at the end of the season, which can still give you a chance to get in the PGA Tour. And at the very worst, finishing in the top 75 helps you keep your status for the next season. Um, and of course, at the beginning of the season, I didn't realize that it would be a two-year season, so we didn't predict what would happen this year. But thankfully, it's going to be a two-year season, so I'll get another year out there to, you know, prove myself and hopefully get to the big tour. Yeah. So talk us through this sort of modified season, what it looks like now, and and sort of, I guess, what the next tournament is on your schedule here. Well. The the next season, the schedule hasn't been released yet. They were supposed to release it the second week of October. And then it was supposed to be by the end of October. And then now it's supposed to be by the third week of November. So they're definitely struggling to put a schedule together. I think that's because the beginning of the season does an, inter, uh, does an, um, an international swing where you have two events in the Bahamas. Uh, one event in Panama, one event in Bogota, one event in Mexico, and I don't think they're, or I don't think they're trying to have it in any of those locations. They're probably ideally trying to have them in the U.S. I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that's why it's taking so long. Is because they're having to reorganize the the whole structure of that, you know, that first swing on the tour. And then as well, they have two events in Lake Charles, Louisiana, typically, and I know that those those courses over there apparently are fine right now, but they've been hit by a bunch of tropical storms. So they're just trying to see whether they're, whether or not they're going to be able to host there. So I guess they have about six, seven events that they, they got to reorganize this year. Yeah. Not to mention the, the title sponsors and everything that's going on with the coronavirus. I'm sure it's uh, mm-hmm. things are a little up in the air. So how do you, how do you prepare for that? And, and what are you doing at this time? At this time, I haven't been playing that much golf. I've been playing more than I expected. I've kind of wanted to shut it down for a solid month or five weeks after the season because I was starting to feel burnt out. I played something like 13 out of 15 or 14 weeks in a row to end the year. And during the whole virus, uh, you know, when the tour was shut down, I was still competing every single week here in Central Florida. So I played a lot of golf this year. It wasn't, it wasn't like the the tour modifying the schedule was, you know, limiting golf for me. I still was able to compete here all year too. So played a lot of golf, and it's good to take a break at the end of the year, reevaluate the stats, kind of set some goals for the next year, set an action plan, and uh, then get after it once you're back back playing. Well, we saw you made a trip up to Maine for a little 
a little stay up here. Did that that sort of help I, collect things? I did. <laughs> yes, it did. I I always try to get. I always try to go there every year, but this this season with how busy it was in the summer made it impossible to go to Maine. And then we had we had one week off um, between Chicago and Wichita early mid September and that was the only week I could go to Maine so I just didn't play golf all week and I got out there and we had a great time it was it was awesome I'm so grateful I was able to get up there what are you guys doing in the winter in Maine I mean you guys are still probably playing a little bit but I see you're getting some snow well uh for for us at least for me I uh Sugarloaf's been closed for oh uh approaching two weeks now um Mm -hmm. so we'll be uh We'll be skiing here probably, uh, probably within the month, um, and then uh, kind of just focusing on trying to rebuild uh, the season. Trying to like you, like you do. You know, we're looking at what was successful and what uh, what we can uh, improve on with uh, with rounds and trying to get more golfers up here to see it. So it's uh, you know, it's not like Henry who's going to go down to uh, Arizona and uh, probably jump on tour, but uh, you know, it's fun. Awesome. Yeah. Do you guys do a lot of online lessons in the winter? Uh, yeah, that's something that I've been working on kind of behind the scenes. I'm on the Skillist app and, and I try to do some online coaching. And um, so Zach and I are going to be doing a lot of the sort of online content as well as we, as we move into the winter here. But, but Austin, you got to come out to Arizona, man. That's the place to be in the winter. It's a pretty darn good place to be. I agree. I have, I have some family there, and uh, it's it's hard to beat. That Scottsdale Phoenix area is is really tough to beat. Yeah, it's it's great out there. But let, let's go back and talk a little bit about the traveling component. That you know, going week to week on tour, and and you know, you start your uh, your season off, or I guess the restart. Um, back with it you know you had a couple missed cuts you know you shoot four under the first tournament back in utah and you know four under you miss a cut i mean that's just the that's the way the game is going i, I hear about six yeah. under cuts on the pga tour now yeah it's it's the way the game's trending um the guys are so darn good and I felt like I played solid most weeks i missed the cut i think i had five or six events i missed the cup by one and what that usually boils down to is one or two bad decisions, those 36 holes or one or two, you know, missed short pots. And that's the difference between having a missed cut week and possibly having a top 25 week. Yeah, no, no. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about that. You know, you were talking about stats and, uh, you know, a couple of missed putts here and there. So, you know, you're, you can look at the stats. You can see. I mean, your ball striking this year was was you know excellent. And so, where where are you going to focus your improvement? Is it short putts? Is it uh, you know uh, around the greens? Or are you trying to kind of work on other areas? The the major areas I'm trying to improve on are putting inside five feet, approach shots two twenty five to three hundred, which I really would use on long par threes and and then par fives i felt like i i didn't take advantage of my of my driving off the tee in many instances on par fives this year where i hit a great drive and i might have you know 270 into the green where i could could have hit a hard five wood or a three wood on the green and i either you know hit a poor three wood or decided to lay up and i still my performance on the par fives is still solid but i think there is definitely room to improve and my confidence level from pretty much four iron through three wood. And then the other, the other big part that I need to improve is just high soft shots inside 50 yards. You know, I chip one handed and I'm very good at basic shots with one hand around the greens, but out there you play a lot of, a lot of courses with some thick rough and some fast greens. So you really need to be able to hit some high soft shots that, don't get away from you and I need to be able to do those two handed. And I, I do hit a lot of good shots two handed, but I need to be more consistent with it. Cause the guys out there are so darn good where if you're not great at it, you're below average. So it sounds like you're really taking stats into account. I mean, are you looking at those week to week round to round, or is this something you kind of analyze at the end of the year? 
No, I do round to round. I have, uh, through Mike Bender, have, uh, I use a shot by shot system, which is very good for any type of skill level. But thankfully, Peter Sanders, the guy that runs it, goes in and analyzes it and is able to compare my strokes gain number m- numbers to the PGA Tour. He does tour out. He compares my numbers to tour average and then to top five average on the PGA Tour. And what we found this year is my proximity from 50 yards to 200 yards is among top five on the PGA Tour. Uh, my iron game is is something I need to maintain. I don't really, I can always, you can always get better, but if I can just maintain my iron performance and then improve these other elements, I'm going to work my way up to the PGA tour. Um, after every round I go in and I have a binder and in my binder at the top of the page, I put the date at the, at the on the next line. I put the name of the golf course. I put the elevation of the golf course. I put the, the length of the golf course, the course rating, the course, the par of the course. Then I put the, the course conditions. I do fairway length and firmness on a scale of one to 10, five being average, 10 being the most firm, one being the least firm. And uh, I do fairway and I do rough length and then I do green speed and green firmness. And then I go down all the stats, fairways hit, how many out of, you know, whether it's 14 or whatever the number is. And then I do like, if I, if I missed the fairway, which ones, you know, if I, if it was a no shot, a hazard, out of bounds, et cetera, do that fairways hit. I mean, so I do that for fairways hit greens of regulation. I do the, the total greens hit the proximity and then, uh, which, which, uh, ranges of yardages I lost strokes in and which ranges of yardages I gained strokes in chipping procs, chipping saves, Sand saves, sand procs, putting, strokes gained, total putts, uh, total three putts. If I had a three putt, what distance would be? Uh, Front nine performance, back nine performance, total birdies, um, par three performance, par four performance, par five performance, total score. And then I go through all the stats, through things that I've written down throughout the day, and then I make notes, bullet points under the whole round to just so I can have some takeaways from each round. And I do that every single day. I haven't stopped doing that for three years. And it's pretty amazing what you come up with in those three years. Well, that was just a thorough rundown right there. I mean, we're Zach, we're mining gold right now. That's what we're doing. This is all gold. So, you know, see a lot of people talk about like the fact that they want to fix their swings and they want to, you know, practice all these hours. But, you know, a lot of times it comes down to, okay, how am I going to strategize and how am I going to look at the the numbers here and see how I can get better? Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like you're really putting in the time and effort to do that. Yes. Actually, one other thing I missed is I do the weather too. So I'll do yep. the temperature throughout the round. I'll do the humidity throughout the round and then I'll do the wind throughout the round. And then I also have altitude included at the top of where the course is, which mm-hmm. I really learned a lot about altitude this season. I hadn't, you know, being from Florida and then in the winters playing, I mean, in the summers playing on the coast of Maine, I've never really dealt with a lot of altitude. So sure. that was a big learning lesson for me this year. And that the tour does play quite a few events at altitude. So hopefully next year I can take some of those lessons and, and really play better at, at those high altitude events. Sure. I mean, you, you, geez, just driving from, you know, the coastline in Maine back up to Sugarloaf, you know, you're going up, a, you know, 1,200 feet or so to where that golf course is and mm-hmm. you're going to gain a couple of yards at least. So you do yeah. those sorts of things. Do you have a – do you sort of have like one of those uh, to-go sort of track man sheets that you put in your, your caddy book? You know, I, I have all my numbers based at sea level at 80 degrees with about 64% humidity. And so I kind of just take that and, and base it and can kind of transition it week in, week out, depending on the temperature, depending on the elevation. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have, I don't, I won't write a fresh one for each week. Um, and it's all carry numbers, obviously. I think, uh, I think some amateurs might try to, try to think base off base some of their distances off of roll, but obviously carry is really all that matters when you're putting right. it in your, you know? Um, and then one thing I learned about carry for me this year, playing this, this tour was on the mini tours in Florida, we play a lot of soft greens, soft Bermuda greens. And with your long irons, 
you don't have to spin it as much to be able to, to hold it on greens. And once I started playing some of these events, I realized I needed at least, at the very least about 3,300 RPMs to, to stop it on greens or to have any chance of stopping it on greens. So, you know, I had a two at the beginning of the year, I had a two iron that was spinning super low. I got rid of that. I put a five wood in that spins much nicer, flies much higher. And then I got a three iron in with a softer shaft. You know, I had the X100 shaft in it, and I transitioned it to a hazardous uh, 6.5 shaft with about uh, 30 grams le- less weight, which helped me get a little bit extra spin, a little bit extra height to stop it on those greens. And then I've been working extra hard with my 4 and 5 iron, trying to make sure I can hit that nice high stock draw into those greens. So just like you really learn a lot playing week in, week out, and it's really fun to adjust to the conditions that you're playing in as well. That's that's just awesome. You know, it sounds like <laughs> I feel like this is just ringing so true because, you know, when I was out with Dana this year, we we, we worked a lot on that sort of stuff. And um, we actually worked with Marty Jertsen over at Ping, um, sort of coming up with a sort of uh, a sheet that shows you all the sort of algorithms that you need to calculate altitude from course to course and, you know, mm-hmm. wind conditions and how it affects her ball because it's going to affect hers way different than yours. And, yeah, uh, you know, so we, we kind of came up with a sheet for that. I also went through like track man, you, and, um, you know, cause those calculations, those make or break you on the tour. You got to be able to adjust week to week. And it sounds like you're mm-hmm. really doing that. Um, you know, one thing that, you know, we're trying to do at Maine golf talk, um, outside bringing on great guests like yourself is also through you is like, you know, we want to get your wisdom and how we can help the players around, um, our state and, and for anyone else who's listening and, you know, that's why we've kind of partnered with Arcos here because we feel like, uh, you know, stats and tracking your stats is a, is a huge mm-hmm. component to lowering your score. So that's why we partnered with them. And for any of our listeners, you can go on Arcos and use the code, uh, main golf to get 10% off, um, for that. So that's a, that's a great way of, you know, coming out next season and, uh, shooting up some better scores. Well, and that's awesome that you're a partner with Arcos. I, I have to say the systems matter that you use, but most importantly, the consistent input into the system is the most important because that way you have consistent feedback over a long period of time and you can really evaluate your statistics more accurately and have a better perspective on the collective you know, data that's put in. So it's really being able to, to be disciplined enough to put it in day in, day out, and uh and just stay committed to that process yeah exactly i mean it's uh you know everybody kind of goes different ways and you know a lot of people bounce from one thing to the other to the other trying to hope for you know success but you know you got to be consistent with what you do and i mean you know you're you're you know you've been working with bender for a long time and i mean that's got to be extremely helpful knowing exactly, you know, what the goals are and staying along those goals. Yes. And Mike has a very clear system. I know I've, I mean, I've been programmed into his system for 14 years. It's rare when he tells me something that I wasn't anticipating at this point. And it's, and Mike, you can say it's not a perfect system, but it's a clear system. And I, I'm able through his instruction to just have a very good feedback loop of practicing, competing, and then evaluating, and then practicing, competing, and then evaluating. And uh, over the course of 14 years doing that day in, day out, I, you just keep getting better and better. And I, I think if I had any advice to junior golfers who have any ambition of playing in college golf or professional golf, you have to find a coach who has a clear system who can really articulate to you what they want in your swing and then commit to that system. Committing to it's the most important part because there, there are a million different ways to swing a golf club. But if you can follow one system, stay disciplined to that system, and then follow that kind of feedback loop of practicing, competing, and evaluating, you're going to get better and better and better. It, might, it doesn't matter if you're a George Gankis or any instructor – you know, whether it's, you know, Mac O'Grady or, you know, Hank Haney, you can get better under any system. I mean, look at Tiger Woods. 
you know, he's the best golfer in history, but he strayed from system to system and tinkered. And I, I truly believe he would have won over 20 majors if he stayed with one system. And it's not because his original system was the best. It's just because he could have been consistently day in, day out, getting feedback off that one system and perfecting himself within that system. Um, but, you know, when you, when you switch to four different instructors, you, you keep on mixing different information and it's hard to really track yourself throughout your years from improvement within one system. So obviously, I mean, I don't say that to knock on Tiger because I think he's the best golfer in history. But it also kind of goes to show how darn good he is to have had the success he's had in four plus different systems. Yeah, I mean, you're you're spot on. I mean, you know, it's it, it could be a controversial take, but I mean, I I completely agree. I mean, he, you know, he was at his best, and then decides, hey, you know what, I'm switching it up, and you know, you the truly great ones can do that, but if you're not you know, if you're just an average golfer or, you know, an aspiring junior golfer, that's just going to put you behind everybody else who's sticking to the one system. And exactly. And I see it time and time again with juniors who switch it, switch and switch. They, they don't have sustainable improvements in their game. And it's that searching mode. It's always, you know, people are always searching to find it, so to speak, but the, they don't if they don't define what it is they're never going to find it so you you talked talked a little bit about taking a break uh before the the next uh the season starts back up um you know when you get back out there what uh what what is your practice or your daily routine kind of look like you know working out uh hitting Mm -hmm. balls practicing you know kind of talk a little bit about your your kind of daily routine for uh for your prep up to the season well, I have uh, the way I organize my practice is I have, you know, I do mechanical work with each element of the game. I do block work with each element of the game, which is, um, you know, has to do more with hitting stock shots and just uh, repetitions. And then I have challenge part for every part of the game. So, you know, if I'm if I'm working on my irons, you know, for 20 minutes, if I have an hour on the range for 20 minutes, I'm working on some, you know, impact rehearsals, some swing rehearsals, working on what I the positions I want to put the club in throughout the swing. And then for 20 minutes, I'm hitting stock shots, you know, my stock draw seven iron or whatever club it may be. And then for 20 minutes after I'll have, I'll have to hit it, you know, three balls in a row in a zone, whether, and I'll, I'll change up the the zone, whether it's, you know, a fade five iron or a draw nine iron. And I have to hit three in a row in those zones. And one block game I do a lot too is uh, three different clubs carry, carry 125 150 175 200 and 225 i think that's huge because you get in different conditions out there on tour and you you need to hit you know a 125 yard shot into a 30 mile an hour wind is 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 a much different 125 yard shot you know with you know 20 mile an hour downwind so if you can really confidently hit different clubs different carry numbers you can transition week in week out much better so that's what i do i do that you know i do the mechanics the block and then the challenge so I'll do a lot of that, but actually I'm kind of excited this off season. I I'm starting to work more with Scott Shepard, Mike Bender's personal tra- Mike Bender's Academy trainer, just on some mobility and flexibility and strength stuff. But I'm also working on getting my speed up with the super speed golf guys. And, uh, I put a 48 inch driver in the bag a couple weeks ago and I'm working on just almost using that as a form of exercise and just hit bombs. And I love it. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of our other pushes is super speed. And I mean, it is, we were just talking with uh, TBI Joe. He's a uh, trainer up here in uh, Maine. And I mean, gaining, gaining a couple uh, miles per hour on your, uh, your swing speed is going to make a big difference in yardage. You know, for you guys, mm-hmm. it, it's massive. And for, you know, the average golfer, it's even bigger. Um, you know, and it's, it's good to know that, uh, you know, even you guys are trying to keep pushing that, that speed. Oh, and what, what you guys should do is reach out to house of forged 
get them to send you guys some 48 inch driver shafts because a lot of these driver manufacturing companies for the shafts like hazardous project x i love i use all the project x fairway wood and driver stuff i think they make the best stuff but they they aren't in the market of making 48 inch driver shafts so a lot of the swing weights get off when they when they try to you know, add three inches to the driver shaft, but like a company like House of Forge that specialize in long driver shafts can get you that shaft. And when you hit that club, it actually, from my experience with it in the short amount of time I've been practicing with it, when you hit that and then you go back to your regular driver, your regular driver feels relatively easy to control because it's in terms of the length, it's like going from a four iron to a pitching wedge. So it's fun to kind of have that different type of practice where you're just swinging as hard as you can at the 48-inch driver. Then you get to the the regular driver, and all of a sudden it feels like a controllable short club. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah the only issue for me is, you know, 48 inches comes up to, like, my uh, chin. So, I mean, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be a little bit long for, for my, uh, my, my height. No, I think it's fun. It's fun. Um, what I've learned to hit it hot, to hit it, the 40 inch driver that I needed to do is one, obviously you got to get the loft down because the less loft, the more, the more ball speed, you know, Bryson DeChambeau's got a four and a half or five, five degree driver and play. And what he's doing to gain his, to get speed up right now is insane. I'm not trying to do what he's doing. I don't think, I don't think I have the discipline to physically do what he's doing right now. It's, so darn impressive but you got it you got it for that 40 inch driver with the you know i'm playing seven degrees right now with my sim max driver head i'm teeing it super high i'm swinging around more with that left foot dragging left or impact i typically you know stay in posture kind of with the head tilt like the mac o'grady mike bender technique but with the full swing driver you can't stay in your tilt through impact or else you're going to break your back so you got to swing around more and then really firm hands to control the face, but super loose in the, the rest of your body, you know, like to, feeling like I'm getting longer, way looser, way more lag, just trying to get as much speed as possible and hitting up on that baby. And just, it's pretty cool. I mean, my swing speed ju- between my regular driver and the 40 inch driver is eight miles an hour difference with a stock swing. I mean, that's amazing. Just well, adding that like, adding that length is automatic eight miles an hour club at speed. That's crazy. And mm-hmm. you know so like you said, you're probably not gonna bring on the muscle activation techniques anytime soon, uh D there. But um but you know it's it's interesting you brought up the fact that you know these drivers are being made with less loft, teeing it up high, longer. Um, you know, and these guys are swinging all out and everyone's thinking, well, ball's going to go all over the place but what's happening is that their natural athleticism's coming out and they're actually mm-hmm. finding that by swinging a little more aggressively and having a little more pressure in the hands they're better able to control the club face exactly uh cameron young who's one of the best players on the corn Ferry tour and just was a stud in college at wake forest i play a little junior golf with him and he was always a big kid and he was one of the most impressive players I played with as a junior golfer. And he would always tell me when he feels uncomfortable with the driver, he just swings it as hard as he can. <laughs> and I always <laughs> thought that that was, I always thought that was crazy to me. Cause I'm always, I'm a very conservative person mentally on the course where I'm like, Ooh, if I'm not hitting it well, I kind of want to hit a little bunch shot out there. And I was just like, Oh, well he just hits it as hard as he can. And I think you're seeing that more and more now on tour with guys like Brooks Kepka and, Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson as they just get up there and they it kind of gets rid of some nerves if you're going at it because instead yeah. of thinking of the result of the shot all you're thinking is how much energy and speed can I put into the swing so exactly I mean uh, it, it can be very helpful I don't know if you you follow tour tempo at all but that shout out to tour tempo here and, uh they talk about the three to one ratio and he's been around for years and uh you know, Bryson's three to one ratio has gone down. Like, I mean, it's ridiculous before he was like 27 to nine. Now he's like 24 to eight or something with this swing speed. But, but it's all about the fact that it reduces doubt and it reduces anxiety and you get up and you just be an athlete and you hit the crap out of it. And it's like, you know, like you said, you have some pressure in your hands right now, your tension and your forearms and your, 
your upper arms are, you know, it's a little more loose, but you have to hold that club tight. If you're swinging at 135, 40 miles an hour, you got to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, effectively the, the end of the club is going to be way heavier. So you have, yeah, and that's, a, I think that's a misconception in golf is grip it loose and be soft with it. I mean, around the greens, it can work great, but to control your irons and, and your driver, I think you need to have firm grip pressure. Mm. Some guys might be able to do without it, but I was looking at, you know, Mike Bender has a lot of old Mac O'Grady notes yep. and he's got, I mean, if you were Mac O'Grady, he, he's got ridiculously firm grip pressure and ridiculously strong forearms when he's hitting those shots. I don't know if you saw recently on, on Instagram resurfaced some video of him hitting such a steep swing into impact with a guy, the guy standing about a foot in front of him. Have you seen this? Oh yeah, I posted that one. <laughs> oh, that did you? Cool. Oh, yeah, that was that was, uh, that was sweet. Yeah, there's this guy out in like Indonesia. Or so I don't even know where he is. Uh, he just, I think it's like MB Swingworks or something. He posts all this Mac O'Grady stuff, and I just mm-hmm. I love his stuff. I just watch it all day. It's great. But yeah, I, you know, using the ground to sort of stop the club face and control it, and um, you know, of course, his uh, AOA was probably like negative twenty on that one, but. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly but he, I mean, he, so when you watch the swing yeah when you watch the swing though it's still it's not like he's you know coming way over the top or anything he's still relatively shallow he's just got a lot of tilt and he's swinging down on it so yeah and and uh, to me what i love about what mike teaches based on the mac o'grady stuff is mike just teaches a version of mac stuff where mac found all of the numbers for each position of the golf swing all of the positions you need to put every single part of your body in the club in for each position but mike teaches rather than some guys with mac o'grady teach more open chest open shoulders you know swinging maybe a little bit more across the ball hitting more trap fades mike teaches us it's everything's almost the same but the tilt there's more spine tilt at setup you rotate around that spine tilt and you come in a little bit more shallow with with more square shoulders and you hit the draw all it is is the draw version of mac o'grady's stock version so if you like hitting a draw it's a great great system to be in you can hit a fade with it all you got to do is just change your alignment and maybe a little bit of your tilt but uh it's just such an easy to understand system on mac o'grady put out there that no matter what type of ball flight you want to play it's you can use the system you know, well, it's a, that's a great point you bring up about what how Mike has distinguished himself from Mac and, you know, just the, the sort of close shoulders coming into impact and not having your chest open up quite as quickly. And you look at 90% of golfers, what do they do? They slice the ball. So when they see Mike Bender on Instagram working on hitting draws, swinging from the inside, back turn to the target, people can mm-hmm. relate to that. And I think they can easily implement that. Yeah, and it's very helpful to most amateurs. They get out there, and all of a sudden, for the first time in their lives, they're not hitting slices. So it's it's pretty easy to understand. You know, uh, do you guys know about the Megsa training system that he developed? Yeah, we brought it up with him. It's like that, uh, you know, sort of contraption you hop into, and it's all dialed up for you, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't. It dawned on me this season. As I'm walking down the range, seeing these guys with all these different training aids and devices, and a lot of these devices are great. But I texted Mike on the range. I'm like, Mike, that Megsa system you created is the single greatest training aid device in the history of golf. Not because you can take it on tour with you, which you can. You pretty much have to have it based at your golf course because it's just too much to move. But it is no matter what position of the golf swing you want to get in, whether, you know, it doesn't matter who you work with, what kind of swing you want to have. There is a, there is something in that system that you can use to get the, get the, your body in that club in that position. You know, you can use it for anything. And, uh, it's pretty impressive to me. He came up with that. And, um, you know, I haven't seen it anywhere outside of Mike Bender related facilities, but it is an incredibly helpful training aid for anyone to use because as i said it doesn't matter what type of golf swing you want that that contraption can get you in that position well and there's so many people that are you know a little bit of a, afraid i suppose or 
not really wanting to use training aids. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I think there's, but I do think there's a, a, a time and a place for them. And you look at what DeChambeau's done with Mike Shy down there in Texas and Mike has them mm-hmm. on this, this sort of like, you know, this more upright plane, one plane system. And, you know, he used like this heavy, heavy metal shaft and just swings it on this arc. Like, and he, he trained for hours on that thing. So yeah, I think that gets a little lost is the, the time and effort that it takes and, and the re- repetitions it takes before you can see the results from a, a training aid like that. Exactly. It takes a lot of time. You just got to be disciplined enough to do it. It's what it boils down to. Bryson's a disciplined guy and what his, his, his swing plane is as good as it gets. And that's not, that's not by accident. I mean, he's worked his butt off over the years to do that. And it's, it's super impressive to see, you know, at Mike's Academy, I talk to Mike about it all the time. He has a plane board there. You know, it's like a semicircle that you, you know, you, you can, that gives you feedback on whether you're on plane in the backswing, on plane on the downswing, on plane going through. And I work on that thing 20 minutes a day, not a lot of time, but still I take my time every day to get on that thing. And over the years, my plane has gotten really good. And even though that thing is sitting there all day, every day, you know, people that are, you know, paying thousands of dollars to work with Mike all year, never get on it. And it's like, if (laughs) all you had to do is put 10 minutes on that thing a day, you would see unbelievable results and people just don't do it. It blows my mind and it blows Mike's mind. Mike tells me every time I see him, why is it that you're the only guy that uses this thing? I'm like, I don't know, but I guess I'm glad no one else uses it because they'd be swinging it better than me. P six to P eight, baby. That's where it counts. Uh, so you're gonna have you're gonna have to get all these Mac O'Grady notes up to Zach and I for uh, study. Okay. Oh, some <laughs> of these things are very confidential. <laughs> they are. Mike's got. I mean, Mike's got uh, some great stuff. And, and actually, if you want, if you're down in Orlando, you got to come by because on the wall, outside of the uh, the fitness facility at Mike's. Academy, he does have Mac O'Grady's position by position swing oh. for a cut driver. For a cut yeah. driver. Yeah. And it's unbelievable seeing all the numbers on there. I mean, Max is, is a special kind of mind. Well, we, you know, we brought up DeChambeau, you know, he and Mike Shy both are golfing machine guys. I mean, DeChambeau mm-hmm. read the golfing machine when he was like 13 years old. And that's how yeah. he got interested in, in one plane swing and, and, one length clubs. That's how we got started. So it's a, uh, it's a great source for a lot of the best uh, instructors and instructions um, in today's game. Yeah, it is. So, uh, you know, I did want to talk to you guys a little bit about this website. My caddy started called mental golf type doc. It's called mental And kind of what we're talking about with the, with the full swing, it's, about systems and following a system it's a what he's tried to do is kind of get rid of the notion that mental golf uh performance can be taught to everyone the same way you know the the attributes of each player you can kind of teach you know like a a dr bob rotella aim small miss small type of thing he he uses the myers-briggs typology to personalize mental golf performance for each player and find what works for you in terms of what creates stress for you. And then what also uh, creates, you know, optimal performance in terms of relaxation and ultimate confidence and and what you do on the golf course. And uh, I really recommend you guys take a look at it. All you got to do is, you know, you take the test, you learn your personality type. You under, It, it kind of teaches you what triggers stress and what leads to your best performance. And then it puts together a, a detailed course to improve, you know, lessons specifically for your personality type, through videos and um, just the reading. And for I know for me personally, it's made a huge difference because uh, one of the things in there, it's, you know, some, some players are sensory players and some players are intuitive players. And in a, an intuitive player is someone like a Bubba Watson who is looks out at the shot and sees the shot and is just going to react to what he sees out in the open. He, if you tell Bubba Watson over the ball, you've got to put the club in this and this position, 
he's not he's going to be very stressed out and unable to hit the shot but if you tell him oh i just want to see you hit a 20 yard fade starting here ending there focus on that he can hit it for me on the opposite i'm like a justin rose who if you see justin rose he's very methodical and detailed in his process where you know he puts the shaft down the line he sees a starting line sees a finish line and then he gets into his what i call my swing station and he's just trying to perfect his move that he's working on on the range because that creates you know, form a piece for him over the ball, because if you told him that he had to be focused on the target the whole time, he would get stressed out, but he's very comfortable getting in his, getting, you know, in his setup and feeling relaxed in his setup, replicating that move that he's practicing. So it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's a lot more involved than what I'm saying, but it, it's a type of system that you can show to your students that will help them you know, reduce anxiety and understand what helps them as an individual perform best on the golf course. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I was just looking at the website and I mean, you know, to take the test, it's only going to take about like, you know, five, 10 minutes. So, you know, take the test, look, uh, figure out what, uh, what type of personality you are and, uh, it's going to help you, tr- you know, transform your game and, uh, you know, pretty easy to remember too. I mean, main golf talk MGT and uh, you know uh, you guys got MGT there with your uh, your mental golf type so uh, yeah yeah exactly he uh, he's worked very hard on this the last 10 years and I'm a big believer in it it's and what's what's beautiful about it is it's very easy to understand and it's not something that is it's not trying to tell you to do something that it's telling other people to do. It's really trying to personalize the mental golf performance for each player rather than telling everyone kind of the same thing, because we're all different. You know, what works for me might not work for you. You know, it's, it's, uh, and it's a system as well. So you can always, if you, if you really commit to the system and follow it, you'll see steady improvements. And I think that's kind of just what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say, you know, in this podcast is, it it's the system you choose whether it's for the mental game or for course making decisions or for the mechanical aspect of the game what i keep learning is it's not necessarily the system you choose it's committing to the system not straying from it and following that feedback loop system of you know practicing performing and evaluating and keep on doing that and doing that and doing that and you will see results yeah i mean and you're, you're a great social proof of that. You know, you, you stuck with it and, uh, you're definitely getting the results and, you know, it's going to be great watching you here, uh, you know, for this, uh, this, I guess, late push. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it for next year, uh, to get to that top 25. That's the goal. Yeah. Or at least finish, you know, get to the playoffs and hopefully do well in the playoffs. What was cool about this season is we got to play those playoff courses without the consequences of the playoffs. So it's almost like having practice tournaments for the playoffs this season. So it'll be cool. Well, Austin, uh, you know, we're going to let you get back to uh, relaxing and uh, enjoying (laughs) the sunny weather down in Florida. You know, it's 25 degrees here in Maine, so I got to do something to kind of warm up. But uh, as you know, we finished it off with our Wicked Fire. So uh, without further ado, here is Wicked Fire, I guess, 2.0 for you. Uh, Love it. Favorite stop on tour this season? Um, Pumpkin Ridge outside of Portland, Oregon. Awesome golf course, beautiful weather, and I just, I don't know, it's a very incredible, it's just an incredible place to be. When were you guys up there in Portland? We were up there, hmm. It's funny, everything's kind of blending together this year. It might have been early August, late July or so. So you guys were there probably before the fires then. We we went up there back in Oh, that's August right. You guys September. were up fires. Oh my gosh, it's like it was like the air quality is the worst in the world. It's like 500 on the AQI. You walk outside and it's like Yeah, 500 is pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's awful, but no that that's probably my favorite stop this year on tour. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. How about your uh favorite three courses in Florida? That you've played that's a tough one i definitely have to put calusa pines in there down in naples um 
Seminole down, you know, Juno Beach is pretty incredible. Um, John's Island West in Vero Beach is awesome, but I don't know whether I like it more than TPC Stadium. I really think that TPC Stadium, Stadium is a masterful course design. I've never seen a course where you can gain or lose strokes on so easily as that course. I mean, you could have a two, three shot swing on every hole out there. Yeah, those, uh, those are some uh, pretty good ones. Uh, I mean, I worked down in Naples for a couple of years and I mean, Clusa Bynes is definitely one of my, uh, my all time favorites. I mean, that, this is the design. You got some long bar fours and then you got some, you know, you got what is short it? Short ones. Yeah. yeah. Eight, eight's, uh, the, the reachable. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, it's really cool. And then plus it's the highest elevation in, uh, in Naples with, uh, the T shot mm-hmm. there on nine. Uh, all right. Did so you, did you like Naples national more than Calusa? Oh, you know, I, it was, it, I like Calusa better. Um, I don't know. It just more or less, I think for me is just, I play better there and, it sets up better, but, uh, I mean, both of them are, the conditions were just immaculate every time I yeah, went. Yeah, tough to beat. Uh, so let's go with, uh, your most memorable shot this year. There was, that's a, that's a tough one, but actually the first one that comes to mind, which is, I'll just say it because it's for whatever reason, the one that pops in my head first is it was the final round in Missouri. Uh, in Springfield, Missouri, and I had about two two fifty five to the back to a back right pin on number eight, which is a really weird par five. Tee shot super narrow, and then the second shot, it's an easy layup if you're gonna you know lay up. It's a par five, but there's water short of the green. And my caddy and I all week had decided we're just gonna lay up short because it's very hard to ju- to control the distance of the carry because it's downhill, but it's usually over. It's over water and it's usually into the wind, but you can't feel the wind because you're kind of down in a little valley when you're hitting the shot. But we decided that the the best course of action was to hit a little cut five wood. It took us very long to come to that decision. At first, I was going to hit a three iron. We backed off the three iron. We talked it out. I was considering laying up with like an eight iron. And then we really got clear on the pros and the cons of, of you know both courses of action. And we decided that at that moment in time, the best decision would be the cut five wood. And it was a new club in the bag. I hadn't hit it many times and I just executed it beautifully, you know, made a tap, it had a tap in birdie and I went on to shoot, you know, seven under that round, which moved me up to, into my first top five on the tour. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good shot right there. Uh, and then final question, what event we'll say, you know, as long as the schedule, you know, is, what it is um what event would you be looking forward to most this year uh, the tour championship that that golf course i was at victoria national in uh, indiana is an unbelievably good golf course it's it's similar it's kind of similar not in terms of the way it looks but in terms of the way it plays it's like a tpc stadium where every hole you can make birdie, but my goodness, if you get out of position, you can make some disaster kind of numbers out there. And it's a, just a beautiful course. And obviously it's a tour championship. That's what determines whether or not you keep your, you get, you move up to the PGA tour, or you stay on the same one. So it's, it's just a, it makes for a great tour championship venue. Well, Austin, we, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing so much of your time with us. I, I hope the listeners, uh, you know, gained a lot of wisdom from this. I, I know I did. It's uh, this episode definitely go back and listen to. Maybe take some notes because there's a lot of a lot of information, especially on like the statistics and all your Mac O'Grady and Mike Bender stuff. I, I just think it's uh, it's exceptional for our listeners, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. And I, I really I recommend the mental golf type, but also yes, you know I I. I I really learned so much this season. I didn't expect to learn as much as I did. And one thing that, one thing you, that I learned more than anything this season is you have to be humble enough to recognize you don't know that much. And you have to suck up information from as many sources as possible because you have to realize, you know, someone that's been in the industry for 40 years, that's 40 years of experience you don't have. So if you can suck up, you know, the five most important things that one person's learned in 40 years, you've pretty much accumulated 40 years of knowledge yourself. Oh. And, you know, that's something that I really 
I've really gained from this year is I wasn't afraid to ask questions. You know, my caddy and I would walk with uh, some experienced caddies out there and just learn from them, you know, what they've learned over the years. And, uh, you know, even though it might only be one or two things you learned, those one or two things can make the difference in the course of the season. So you never know what you're going to learn and you, you have to just realize that you don't know that much. Crazy. Well, constant yeah. learning and, a savant you are, uh, Austin. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. That, uh, no, guys, thanks, thanks for having me on. I, was, I really wanted to talk to you guys. I was super excited to share some of the things about this season, and I'm really glad that your podcast is going well, and I, uh, I hope everything goes well this winter, and I'm looking forward to a beautiful, beautiful spring, summer, and fall in Maine next year. Sure thing, sure thing. Um, We'll be we'll be sure to share uh, your caddy's link on our uh, in our bio so people can go on and take the, the thank you there. thank you guys thank you guys very much I think that'll help and also one last thing about Scottsdale Scottsdale's great but I'm in Tampa and I can tell you right now there's no better place in the country to be than in Tampa right now we had we got the Stanley Cup we just lost in the World Series we got Tom Brady and Gronk and we're all freed up. People are going to bars, going to restaurants. Everyone's moving down oh, here. God. It's a beautiful time to be here. Perfect weather. It is awesome. No better place in the country than Tampa, Florida right now. I think you're working for Florida tour. Or no, I'm Arizona. telling you. I don't even know if we're on the Corn Ferry Tour anymore. <laughs> it's the best best place in the country to be. I mean, I mean, think about that. We got Stanley Cup. We just lost in the World Series. Then we got Tom Brady. And it's, you know, it's it's an exciting time to be here. Exciting time to be here for sure. Well, awesome. Thanks again. And and for our listeners at home, we, we appreciate you coming on for, for another episode of Maine Golf Talk. You can find us on iTunes um, and as well on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Maine Golf Talk. Uh, if you look back in the, the episode, as we mentioned, we, we do have an affiliate program set up with Arcos and Superspeed. Um, those are on our Instagram and Facebook, so you can get those links, um, save a little money on Arcos, 10% off with code MainGolf. Uh, so you guys come out next year and, and cut those strokes down as quickly as possible. As, uh, as Austin alluded to, that's a big part of the game if uh, you're looking to improve your scores is the sort of strategy and, and stat tracking. So thanks again for listening, and uh, this has been another episode of Main Golf Talk. Mm-hmm.